Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Let's read it. It says this, I say, Therefore, in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So this morning we're going to be talking about putting off the old man, talking about what the old man is, and it's just a figure of speech. It's not really talking about an actual old person, right? So we got to put off the old man, and when we put off the old man, you put on what? The new man. Did anybody work outside this past weekend when it was like 180 degrees? Yeah? Some of you did. Some of you got sick. Some of you had to go to the hospital, ER, and heat stroke and whatnot. If you worked, if you worked at VBS, it was hot out all week and you were sweaty and, you know, especially when you go on our retreats, right? You get, we tell you to bring two pairs of clothes per day, right? Because the first pair always gets nasty and grimy. And the last thing you want to do is hop in bed with those clothes on, right? Right? Okay. Thank you. Goodness. I thought you were all going to be like Josh. No, I'm just kidding. Right? You like you want to clean up before you get into bed. So you take off the nasty, dirty, stinky stuff and what do you do? Take a shower. That's a good that's a good thing, yeah. So that shower, that's a good illustration. There's our salvation in Jesus Christ, right? He cleanses us. And then after he cleanses us, we don't just walk around naked. What do we do? We put some clothes on, right? We put our our good, comfortable, sometimes our best-looking clothes. Well, not for bed, but if you go out or something, I don't know. All right? So you put on the new man. The same goes with us as Christians, guys. So the old man is the conduct, is, is the former us, right? Is, is who we were before Jesus Christ. And the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts, he has cleansed us. Remember, he tells Peter at that one point when he says, I need to wash your feet. And Peter says, don't wash my feet. And, and then Jesus says, well, I, I, don't, I just need to wash your feet. I don't need to wash your whole body because you've already been washed. You've already been cleansed. Right? So we put off the former conduct, the bad, the stinky, and we've been cleansed, and now we put on the good. So what is the former conduct? What is the bad conduct? And then what is the good conduct? What is the good and the new man? And here we see Paul as he continues this thought of the whole chapter of chapter 4 here. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He says, therefore, and we know that therefore, what's it there for? Therefore. It makes a connection. That's what therefore always does. It makes a connection to what was previously already stated or said. So here we see this connection that Paul is making, not just from Ephesians 1 through 3, but also really the whole chapter of Ephesians 4. Here he's showed us in verse 1, that we are to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called, right? We have received this high calling as Christians. We're set to a higher standard, 
right? It's almost like you, those who are older than the younger kids in here, are set to a higher standard. Why is that? Hopefully you've matured more, you understand more, you're not as ignorant or immature as the younger, right? So you're held to a higher standard. Me, as a pastor, I'm held to a higher standard. And when it comes to the comparison of Christians and non-Christians, as Christians, we're held to a higher standard. And we're supposed to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And now this standard that we're to live up to, we, we, what do we do? We follow Jesus Christ, right? We, we imitate Jesus Christ and he is the standard. He is the, as uh, verse 13 says, he is the measure of the stature, stat, stat, <laughs> stature of the fullness of Christ, right? So we measure ourselves based upon Christ and that is our high calling. And so we're supposed to live a life that is worthy of it. We're supposed to walk as Christians, not as the Gentiles, as he says here. He says, you shall no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. And when he says the rest of the Gentiles, he's speaking to Gentiles, but he's speaking to the Gentile Christians. And when he refers to the rest of the Gentiles, he's referring to those who are not Christians, yet are Gentiles. So don't walk like them. And the futility of their mind. You guys, I know you guys have friends outside of just the Christian sphere. And that's somewhat okay, right? As long as, as you are not being influenced by them. As long as they're the ones that you don't go to 24-7. Like we are to be in this world, but not of it, right? So we, we can't avoid non-Christians. Like we have to show them the love of Jesus. But we are, to not, we are not to walk in the same way that they walk because they don't walk the same way as Christians are to walk. And you see it and you know it. The jokes that they make, the things that they follow, the things that they look at, the things that they watch, the things that they say, the things that they do. You know those things are wrong. And that's good to notice that. It's bad once you don't notice that those things are wrong. It's bad once you start to dabble in those things and start to walk like them. You as a Christian, you've been called to a higher calling. You are to walk in, in the conduct of a Christian, of the new man that Jesus has given you. You're not to be that same person that you once were before him. He testifies in the Lord, Paul says. This means to, to cite a witness, to bring forward a witness. You know, like when they say testify or like in court and they want to testify. It's a call to a, a witness. And so Paul here is doing this. He's sharing what the Lord has given him. He's, he's testifying unto it. And he tells us again, this is how we are to not walk. So he's going to give us examples going forward of how to stop walking as the old man, as the, as the rest of the Gentiles and the futility of their minds. I love it. You know, futility of their mind. What do you think of that when he says that? Dumb, right? And that's kind of how the world is, right? It's kind of how we are sometimes. Apart from Christ, we're pretty dumb creatures. Now, we can be very intellectual. We can be very smart, per se, when it comes to facts and knowing things. But without Christ, there's no true knowledge. There's no true wisdom. Apart from, you have to fear, what does it say? It says, Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I know there's people who are just crazy smart. But apart from Christ, it's all futile. 
it all leads to nothing. Because the Bible tells us that the, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. The futility of their minds, it means it is to the devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, frailty. The word speaks of a lack of attainment. Somebody said that futility, it says the thought is not that unregenerate minds are empty. It is that they are filled with things that lead to nothing. Right? So you can be have all this wisdom, but if you don't have Christ, it leads to nothing. You know, when you think about this world today, you know, I think I was watching, what was I watching? I was watching something. And I'm like, how are these guys famous? Right? I was watching um, <laughs> Do Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally any youtube star i'm like how are these guys famous right they're millionaires they have like millions of subscribers and followers and and a lot of these guys and i'm i don't know any of the girls but i know a lot of these guys i'm like i'm thinking i'm like how are you famous all you do is talk and sit in front of a screen but it's because we become so influenced from their futility from their their dumbness that we're like oh this is interesting Right? This is entertainment, but it's so dumb. And I was watching a, a commercial for the, the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, right? Any reality TV, it's like, how dumb can they get? Right? And, and we're so intrigued and we're so entertained by it that we become so consumed by it. And the moment we become consumed by it, we start to allow it to, to seep into our life and we become more and more like it, right? The more that you put in your mind and in, 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 in your heart, is how you're going to respond to that a certain way and you're going to become a certain type of person. So you have to be careful what you consume and what you put in. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, but even just thinking about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, like, yeah, <laughs> anything, right? You got, you got 20 guys trying to, I don't know what the end goal is. I really don't. Are they supposed to get married? Okay, well, that's weird. They're going to be like, honey, remember that time when you dated 19 other guys right before we got married? Gosh, I love that, right? Like, it, doesn't that sound so weird? Well, how'd you guys meet? Well, there was 20 of us, and it's just so, so dumb. So dumb. Listen to this. I have a joke for you guys. It says, three handsome male dogs are walking down the street. When they see, see a beautiful, enticing female poodle, the three male dogs fall all over themselves in an effort to be the one to reach her first, but end up arriving in front of her at the same time. The males are speechless before her beauty, slobbering on themselves and hoping for just a glance from her in return. Aware of her charms and her obvious effect on the three suitors, she decides to be kind and tells them, the first one who can use the words liver and cheese together in an imaginative, intelligent sentence can go out with me. The sturdy, muscular black lab speaks up and quickly says, I love liver and cheese. Oh, how childish, said the poodle. That shows no imagination or intelligence whatsoever. She turned to the tall, shiny golden retriever and said, how well can you do? He says, um, I hate liver and cheese, <laughs> blurts the golden retriever. My, my, said the poodle. I guess it's hopeless. That's just as dumb as the lab sentence. She then turns to the last of the three dogs and says, how about you, little guy? 
The last of the three, tiny in stature, but big in fame and finesse, is the Taco Bell Chihuahua. He gives her a smile, a sly wink, turns to the golden retriever and the lab and says, Liver alone, she's mine. <laughs> you know that was the best joke ever. He says, Liver alone, she's mine. With that, yeah. They lived happily ever after. The end. It went along with The Bachelor. All right, so listen, verse 18, let's continue because we don't have much time. He goes on to say, having their minds, speaking of these Gentiles, right, who, the, who are, are not saved, who don't know Christ, they're walking in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And like that's, that sounds like some pretty harsh words towards these people. And this is the life that they're living. This is the life that we had before Jesus Christ. It was dark. It was miserable. It was mindless. It led to nothing. And that's what Jesus did. He said, look, I'm going to come. The Lord And God sent him. And Jesus came and he died upon the cross to give us life, to give, give us new life, to give us something, to give us hope, right? So we're not walking around mindless. That leads to nothing. Again, he says, having their understanding darkened. This word darkened means obviously to cover with darkness. But Paul uses a perfect tense here, which gives the idea that this darkening is something that has happened in the past and still continues. So they are living in the dark. Now, living in the dark is obviously not a good thing. It's not a fun thing. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. And so as your understanding is darkened, as you're walking in the futility of their minds, they're also alienated, right? We know that this happened once sin entered the world. We were alienated. We were estranged. We were separated from God. There was no more fellowship or intimacy with God. And you see that in your own life when you are walking in darkness. You see it. You know it. You feel it. Because there is no life apart from God. There is no life. And that's why you become so miserable, depressed, down. That's why you have to turn around from where you're at and seek Jesus with all your heart because he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. You have to do that. So these people are alienated. There is no fellowship. There is no intimacy. Our life comes from God, but for the unbeliever, they are shut out from that life. He goes on to say that because of their ignorance that is in them, they have a lack of knowledge. And not just really an intellectual knowledge, but is a divine spiritual knowledge that they lack. It's kind of when Jesus, when he spoke in parables, some of them understood exactly what he meant. It's because he was speaking in the spiritual, in the, in the divine. But a lot of them were like, I don't get it. It's just a story. It means nothing. It's because they, they couldn't see. Their eyes were blind. Their hearts were darkened. They didn't see in the spiritual or the divine. And it speaks of the blindness here in verse 18. It says, because of the blindness of their heart. This blindness refers to this, 
this thick covering. You guys ever just like completely been in pitch black dark? And not only do you not see anything, but you like, you feel it. You're like, it just feels dark. There's this huge covering of uh, this, again, this word blindness um, refers to something as like a cover, a cover with a thick skin to harden by covering with a callus. You guys ever had calluses before on your hands and your feet? The rest of you don't work hard. Speaks of a dulled perception, the mind of one who has been blunted, you know, of, of these calluses. And, you know, once you get calluses, your, your hands get to become hard and, and you, you start to not feel things, right? You don't feel things in the way that you did before you had calluses because then you, you know, I, I don't have to explain it. I don't understand the whole body, but you understand what a callus does. You could pick at it all day and stab it and you wouldn't feel anything, right? Listen to this. Muhammad Gandhi walked barefoot everywhere to the point that his feet became quite thick and hard. Anybody walk with their bare feet a lot? Yeah, okay, Patrick. For sure, Patrick, right? Are your feet becoming callous? No? I will not wash your feet. So his feet, because of the calluses and because of walking with them barefoot, they became quite thick and hard. And he was also a very spiritual person. We know this. Even when he was not on a hunger strike, he did not eat much, and he became quite thin and frail. Furthermore, due to his diet, he ended up with a very bad breath. So somebody said, so what do we have here? A super callous, fragile mystic plagued with halitosis. <laughs> right? And so that's what calluses do. They build up this barrier to where then you don't, you don't feel things. And Paul goes directly into that by saying and making this statement. In verse 19, he says, who being past feeling? So they have walked so far from God, they have said no so many times, and they have walked in, in the futility of their mind, in the darkness of their hearts, that now they are at a point where they have no feeling. They, it, it's just hardened so much, it's calloused so much, that they have no feeling. And what is this feeling of? It's, it's not about romance or emotions or this or that. It's about the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they do not feel anymore. Because that is the one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit for the entire world is to convict us of our wrongdoings. He does. That's how I was led to Jesus Christ because I knew in my heart the things that I were doing was wrong because it was through the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what he does. Does the Holy Spirit ever stop doing that? No. But we, be, we can become so desensitized where we become so callous and so hardened that we don't remember the feeling of the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That we get to a point that we're doing these wrong things and you're like, oh, I don't feel bad. I'm sure many of you have sat in here before and you've heard, okay, yeah, I know these things are wrong and doing this is wrong, but I don't feel bad about it. There's no consequences to it. I haven't gotten in trouble for it. And I really don't feel bad about it. Have you guys ever felt that? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever felt that way? That's a bad place to be. That is a bad place to be because that is what leads into death. That is what leads us into doing more lewd and outrageous acts. And our minds start to wander. One person said before, there was this preacher from generations ago and he shared a message about the repercussions of sin and the young man approached him and said, I sin 
But it doesn't seem to matter at all. I'm not haunted by it. I don't get depressed about it. It doesn't bother me one bit. So the doctor, the professor, he looked at him and he said, Tell me, son, what would happen if I dropped an 800-pound weight on the body of a dead man? Would he feel it? Would he be in pain? Would it bother him? Of course not, said the young man. That's the point, said the professor. If you don't feel the weight of sin, it's not heavy upon you. If it's not having an impact on you, it's because you're spiritually dead. And the more you say no, and the more that you reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the more dead you'll become to the point where you are just so callous that you are just this lewd, wicked person that just walks in darkness. And it might not even be shown on the outside, but it's here. conviction of the Holy Spirit sucks. It really does. It hurts. But it leads to something good. I don't know anybody that has ever said, yes, I love being convicted. It feels so good. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. But it is so good. Because the Holy Spirit is showing us that, that what we're doing is wrong and that leads to death. And he's just gently nudging us into the direction of God and saying, look, you just need to repent. You just need to turn around. Then you can live a life that is free, that is open, that is beautiful, that is, that is peaceful, and you're not so bogged down by the weight of sin and darkness. Again, it hurts. Conviction hurts, but it's good. In the midst of it, it hurts, but the moment you look back and you think, Lord, thank you for bringing me from that place. Thank you for convicting me. Thank you for just sticking with me as I went through that. And the fact that you even still love me knowing that I went through that. And not only do you love me, but you have freed me, freed me from it and now you've given me the gift of grace which allows me to live a life that is free from the condemnation of sin but also from the entanglement of sin. The power of sin. It's gone. It's all through Jesus Christ. Who being past feeling. Guys, don't be past feeling. You know, if you feel like you're getting to that point, pray to the Lord that that he would just soften your heart. Being convicted is good. Conviction, again, remember, it leads to good. It leads to our worthy and high calling and the conduct that we're supposed to have. You know, I hate it in the moment when I'm convicted, but I know that it's leading me to be the person that God created me to be. And I, remember, and I think, man, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be at the point where I'm not convicted anymore and I just become this wretched and horrible person. Who being past feeling have given themselves, and so, okay, this is what happens. You're past that feeling of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What does that lead to? It leads to this. And you can say all you want in your heart or your mind right now, no, I'm never going to do that. Or no, this is not true. I'll still do what I want. I'm not going to become what Paul is stating here. He says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. That is you without the grace of Jesus Christ. This lewdness speaks of an unbridled lust. And this goes beyond just a lust after men and women. This is beyond that. It's an unbridled lust, an outrageousness, a shamelessness. The fundamental thought is the acknowledging of no restraints, doing of whatever crazy idea comes into one's head. 
That's what sin leads us into. Somebody defined it this way, defines this this lewdness, this unbridled lust as a cannibal committing suicide by nibbling on himself. Sounds crazy, sounds harsh, but it is a really perfect picture of what this is describing. An unbridled lust is like a cannibal committing suicide by nibbling on himself. Because you start to allow things in your life and it leads to one thing after another and you slowly, slowly kill yourself without really even realizing it. These Gentiles, again, they're past feeling. They've given themselves over to this lewdness, to this unbridled lust, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. This uncleanliness is, in a moral sense, the impurity of lustful living. The greediness refers to a desire to have more of that, to have more and more and more. That's the old man. That was us. But, but God has redeemed us. God has saved us. God has taken us out from the darkness and he has placed us with him. He has saved us and cleansed us. We are not under the bondage of sin anymore. So we, we don't walk in the futility of our mind. Our hearts are not darkened. We are not ignorant. We are not acting out in lewdness we are not fulfilling the desires of our flesh right but rather we walk in the spirit of god so that we don't we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh we're not doing work of uncleanliness that is combined with greediness that's not us it's not christians and paul says that he states that here in verse 20 he's got this this segue where he says but you have not so learned christ you are not that way because you have learned Christ. And not he doesn't say you have learned of Christ. You have learned Christ. What does that imply? It literally means as it says if as is, if sorry, if as is the case you have learned Christ. Jesus is our teacher. Not only is he our teacher, but he is also the subject of learning. Jesus doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. He is the teacher. He is the subject. We want. He needs us. We need him. We need to know him personally. And Jesus teaches us. Remember, they, they came to him. They said, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus is our teacher. He is the subject. We are his disciples, right? And a disciple is what? What does it mean? A student, a learner, a follower, right? The Greek word being mathetes. You guys remember our fall retreat from years ago so how are we be taught by jesus are you being taught by jesus because that's a good question are you being taught by jesus and obviously if you're being taught by jesus then the subject is jesus and i really believe that there's no better way than to read his word to read the bible again that's why parents teachers pastors they always say read your bible (laughs) it's not because it's some 
It's because it's, it's how we learn Jesus. It's how we get to know him. These are his words. They're living and they're active. It's exactly what you need for the season in your life, the problems that you're going through, and the situations that you're in. So read his word. Get to know him. Because I don't want to get to a point where I'm walking like the rest of the Gentiles. He goes on to say in verse 21, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And as we learn from Jesus and we learn of Jesus, we learn truth. Because Jesus is what? Truth. We don't become ignorant. We don't have this understanding and this knowledge that leads to nothing. But we have this understanding and this wisdom and this knowledge that leads to life. He goes on to say in verse 22, and we'll close in a minute. It says that you put off, okay? So we have, we have put off right here concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So he gives us this picture of literally taking it off, right? And this, this is almost like a daily concept. Just like you would put on new clothes, hopefully, every day, right? So you're, you're putting off these old clothes because they're corrupt, because they're dirty. And you put on these new clothes, which Christ has given you. You know, we become so, and I think it's a good picture. It's a good illustration that Paul gives us because we're so intrigued by ourselves, what we look like. I'm sure most of you picked out your outfit last night right ladies maybe guys i don't know maybe you went through three or four outfits before you actually wore the one that you're wearing okay maybe not but that's what some people do right we're so concerned about what we wear and on our presentation but we need to be more concerned about the spiritual presentation the things that we put on and the things that we put off it's more important about what happens spiritually than what we look like physically but he's giving us this, ex- this example of putting off, again, the old man. And this old man grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Man, this old man and these deceitful lusts. He keeps bringing up the word lust, lewdness. The things that our flesh has a strong desire for that lead to death. Right? We've got the, the pride of life, the, the lust of the eyes. It's these in the lust of the flesh. It's these things that we're trying to appease that are apart from God. And they feel good for a moment and they bring this momentary satisfaction and pleasure. But we all know that once that, that, that feeling, that euphoria is gone, it leads to this, this darkness, this depression, this anger, this desire for wanting more, right? He says this greediness. We want and more and more and more, yet you are never satisfied. You are never satisfied. We have to be careful about the things. We have to be careful about lust. I love this illustration here. It says there's a story of two monks. They were walking in a drenching thunderstorm and they came to a stream and it was swollen out of its banks and a beautiful young woman in a dress stood there wanting to get to the other side but was afraid of the currents. With compassion, one of the monks said, Can I help you? And the woman said, I need to cross this stream. The monk picked her up, put her on his shoulder, carried her through the water, and put her down on the other side. And he and his companion went on to the monastery. And that night his companion said to him, 
I have a bone to pick with you. As monks, we have taken vows not to look on a woman, much less touch her body, but back there, by the river, you did both. The first monk said, My brother, I put that woman down on the other side of the river, but you're still carrying her in your mind. You see, what lust does it, is it, it never satisfies, it never goes away. It's always upon us, and Jesus wants to free us from that. And He can. And he has, and he's done it on the cross, and all you need to do is accept it. So put off the former conduct. Put off the old man. Because this old man grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and nobody wants to become corrupt. Nobody wants to be bad. Nobody wants to continue wearing nasty, old, gross clothes. Grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. It denotes, this lust denotes any natural desire or appetite, usually with the implication that it is a depraved desire. It's a longing, something that is forbidden, something that you can't have and you want. Because you want it so bad, you do get it. You'll do anything to get it. But then Paul goes on, he tells us, Three things as we learn of Christ. The first thing was what we just read, that we need to put off the old man. The second thing that we need to do as Christians is, in verse 23, is that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So how do we renew our spirit? How do we renew our mind? How do we do that? Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives us a pretty good picture of it, right? Paul again stating to the Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we renew our mind? I'll put it very simply. Have you guys ever heard the statement, garbage in, garbage out? Yeah? You put garbage in and garbage comes out. What you put in your head, what you put in your mind, what you see, what you watch, what you hear is what you're going to put out. Is the conduct you're going to have, is the morals you're going to have, is the things that you're going to believe and the things that are going to come out of your mouth. All depends on what you put in. So if you are following the world, right? As Paul says, if you're conforming to the world, which he tells us as Christians do not conform to the world, You're watching all these YouTube videos. You're watching all these uh, movies and TV shows. And you're thinking, well, they're just shows. But do you understand really how influential those things are? Because if you think that it has no influence, then you're just like one of these Gentiles that's just walking in the futility of your mind and being ignorant. Because they are crazy influential. So what you put in your mind is what you'll get out. And by renewing your mind, you have to put in good things to get good things out. I mean, it's just common sense, guys. The renewing of our mind speaks of the word of God. It, it speaks of us renewing our mind in the word of God, putting in the things of God and not the things of this world. Guys, you guys are you guys are at the prime age of being influenced so easily. So easily. Be careful of it. Be careful of what you watch. And I know sometimes you think, well, man, I, 
It's PG-13. It's not bad. You know, or he, he's not this YouTube guy or YouTube girl is not saying anything bad. But you know what? They mentioned one little thing about standing up for, I don't know, homosexuality or being okay with it or being okay with abortion. And, and all these little minor things that you're like, okay, well, we want to love everybody. Yeah, of course we want to love everybody, but we have to stand up for truth and there has to be justice that couples with this love. Jesus never like stood up for sin and back sin and said, okay, yeah, like that's not that bad. He stood up for the sinners, but not for the sin. And yet we become so easily influenced even by things that are not necessarily bad. So be careful what you put in. There's garbage in, garbage out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that though that through the patience and comfort the scriptures might have hope. So we put in something good, and that's the word of God. And then you're able to stand upon the truth, and you know when somebody stands up for something else that's not the truth, you can say, yeah, I'm not going to be influenced by that. And I have to back up with this homosexuality thing, because I said this one time before, and one of the kids got really mad at me. And I feel like that the whole world is at this point where we have to just be loving and open to everyone and accept everybody for who they are. Jesus does do that. But we be, but the world is so accepting that they don't call him out on what's wrong. And it goes beyond just homosexuality. It goes with this whole thing with, you know, uh, immigrants. And it goes with, you know, the, the, the racism and, and everything else. Drugs. Abortion. Like we know these things are bad. They're not, they're not, they're not truth. They lead to death. And the thought is, well, they're, they're not bad. I'm not harming anybody. Look guys, as Christians, we're to love everyone. Homosexuals, um, drug addicts, liars, thieves, murderers. We are. And we do actually a pretty bad job of loving those types of people. And those types of people find more love and that love speaks of just an openness, of a welcoming into our community from the world because that's what they do. They don't want to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit when we say, I do love you, man. I do. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you that stealing is wrong. That it's going to lead to something worse. And if it doesn't lead to something worse, if you don't have Christ, your stealing is going to lead to death. It's going to lead to separation from God. And if you don't care about God, if you don't believe in God, then okay. But that separation is then going to be torment in hell. So yes, we love them, but we also we need to couple it with standing up for truth and what what Jesus is and who he is and what is right.
You guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys know how to do that? Do you guys know how to love somebody when they're doing something wrong, but also being able to, in love and in gentleness, share with them, hey, buddy, like, I love you, but this idea that you have is wrong. It leads to death. It, it leads to sin. It leads to darkness. It leads to depression. It leads to anxiety, anger, fear. And I, because I love you, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to receive the Spirit of God which gives you love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, and a freedom from the bondage of that sin. It goes with lust, alcohol, drugs, being just a simple liar, homosexuality, anything that is not of God. Again, I think we need to do a better job of loving those people, but also standing firm in in what is truth. And you can do that. You can. And I've seen a lot of you being influenced by YouTubers and celebrities and this and that, where they're standing up for a cause. And again, it seems so, it seems like love because they're just so open. Because again, they're just so accepting to everything and everyone. Do you think it would be love if I just let my kid do whatever he wanted at five years old? Do you think it's love if, if at five years old he went out and, I, I don't know, he started drinking beer? Do you think that would be love? And, and if I just said, oh, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, yeah, you're not hurting me. Probably tastes weird. Right? Is that love? No, the love is then when I discipline him for doing something wrong because that, what he's going to do is is going to lead to something worse and worse and worse. As, as Paul just explained to us that we're going to give ourselves over to lewdness to work all cleanliness with greediness. We're going to desire more and more and more and more. I think of murderers and I think of, you know, uh, pedophiles and all these different people. They don't just wake up one day and decide to be a pedophile or kill somebody. You understand this, correct? It starts with watching the things that you watch, playing the certain type of video games that you play, which then leads into, I don't know, going on the internet and searching some stuff, which leads to then, okay, maybe like uh, watching something in, in real life, which then means acting out on it a tiny bit, which then leads to something that goes far beyond that, that you ever, would never think, man, I, I can't, I don't even know how I got here. It's the snowball effect of sin. It takes you further than you want to go. You understand this, right? The more that you allow it. Nobody wakes up and wants to do that. I promise you that. But God in his grace is no matter what stage of life you're in. If you repent and you seek him, He's going to say, I love you and I forgive you and I can take away the conduct of that old man. You are now freed from it. And now here, here's the new man. Walk in this spirit. Walk, walk with this new man. You are a new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All, thi- all things are gone. Old things are gone. Behold, all things are new. You're a new person. That's like the beauty of the gospel. 
Because we are all at that one point where we have been darkened and we've done things that we should never have done. And yet God will forgive you. God will forgive you of anything that you've ever done. So we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Again, we need to make sure that we understand the things that we're putting in. Even the little mundane things, we need to be careful. He goes on to say in verse 24, and that you put on the new man. So three things. The first thing again, we put off the old man. We are renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's number two. And number three is that we put on the new man. So you have to actively, intentionally put on the new man. Although Christ does give it to you, but in a daily aspect, you have to put on this new man. Right? And this really does happen by us renewing our mind, by us reading the word of God. It happens. Because the word of God is powerful. It's active. The Holy Spirit is real. That's why you feel conviction. That's why when you read the Word of God and you're intimate with Him and you're in fellowship with Him, that's why you're a certain type of way. It's because it's powerful. So we are to put on this new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that what we should desire? Righteousness and holiness? What is righteousness? It's basically the condition of what is right in the eyes of God. And holiness is being faithful to do what God wants. The idea is that truth here contains two things, righteousness and holiness. And if you put on truth, then you will find yourself putting on righteousness and holiness. And I know that Jesus is truth and that his word is truth.